I welcome you all as fellow travelers, as fellow followers of the way, and that in a very special place, the only place we can be, here and now. And often I think that when we look back at history, all of the places, all of the reports, all of the written down documents, the stories told, all of them happened in the here and now. That is a very interesting point to look at. Sometimes when giving talks like this, I begin with a statement that we live in very interesting times. Yes, of course we do. But we live in the only time that there can be, and that is now. As Zen practitioners, as human beings, we only live here, we only live now. So when we look at what's happening, where we live, then we have to involve some kind of cognitive aspect, some thinking, some intellection, some recall of what we have heard. We wouldn't know about the stories if we had not committed them to memory in one or another way. And many of the stories put together turn into a tradition, turn into a specific way of doing things, isms and institutions come into existence that way. So here we find ourselves gathered under the term of Rinzai Zen, Buddhism, or an institution that we call Charles River Zen in this case, the Rinzai school. But all of that is just of course, a construct. It is something important from the point of view of society and from the point of view of human development. But ultimately, from the point of view of Zen practice, in order to fully engage in Zen, we have to even let go of that. Now here comes the opening that I said that I would say. We do live in very interesting times because we find ourselves in a modern world of technological marvels, marvels of minutest size, medical discoveries, medicine, medication. All of that has led society and human life to a different point than it has ever been before. Here in the Western realm, into this kind of development, enters Rinzai Zen, brought to America mostly by Japanese men. And most of them already have left us. They are dead. We find ourselves here in a tradition that came from Japan where it lived in a monastic way 
broad societal support being given out of the history of Japan. Arguably, we could say, well, that has nothing to do with Buddhism. That is really the story of an institution. And you are right. You are right. This is describing a specific type of teaching, a specific institution that follows specific rules, that takes on specific forms. And here we sit in 2018, in October, with this very old tradition. And of course, I have to think about what are we going to do with it? Is it appropriate for the time we live in? What are the aspects that are worthwhile keeping? Or who am I? Who are we to make those decisions? And looking at the political landscape in the United States, I see the same kind of battle happening. What is worthwhile conserving? What are the ideas and the values, the forms that have to be adjusted to human beings living in 2018? How appropriate is it to have places such as Daibosatsu Zendo, which calls itself a monastery, tucked away in the Catskill Mountains? And what can we do at places such as Charles River Zen or at New York Zendo, places of this practice that exist in the middle of bustling cities? Boston, New York City, right in Manhattan. These are questions that might feel overwhelming if you hear them presented like this. But on the other hand, I really do not worry too much. And the reason why I don't have to worry about it too much is because you are here. You are here and you are the ones who help us create a future of this practice. A future of a practice that has seen times of full blossoming, that have seen times of oppression, of persecution. And still it is alive because deeply I know through this practice that it touches on human questions and on something in humanity that we always will have a need to explore. How we do it comes in very many different flavors, and Rinzai Zen is one of those. Where should we draw the line? Sometimes that question comes up. How much should we give into this kind of movement, into that kind of movement? Are we watering down what has been imparted on us. Very important questions. But ultimately, I think, and I feel that as long as the direction of this practice goes into the acknowledgement of the basic teachings of the Buddha, first of all, dukkha, that life as such is full of unsatisfactoriness, 
it is incomplete. Anatta, that there is no fixated self, that the self is not permanent, but that it is empty. Shunyata, no shvavava, no actual fixated self. And of course, anicca, impermanence. Everything always changes. Only when there's no time and no consciousness, the change might not be recognized. But by the fact that we don't get stuck there either, as Joshu Roshi used to say, even in the state of zero, when everything becomes one, a very faint breeze blows. So as long as this practice aims at the discovery of these teachings, not by reading, not by second-hand accounts, but by first-hand engagement, by putting ourselves to the task of asking these questions, of developing the discipline of mind, the discipline of not attaching to the self, not even the questioning self. This practice stays contemporary, necessary, and flexible. This is not very consoling for those of us who like to have something to hold on to. And of course, I have to say, that is the very nature of this practice. Yes, this is not Zen how it was 15 years ago. This is not Zen how it was even two seconds ago. It reveals itself right in front of our eyes all the time. Everything else added to it are accumulated stories, history, but also helpful stories, helpful ways of undertaking this journey. As you probably feel and know from your own practice, one of the things that really helps is that we don't walk this path just alone. I welcome you as fellow travelers on this path, and that welcome comes with deep gratitude for having all of you here on this path, for sharing this practice and this world. Discipline, as I said, is one of the factors that can help a lot. In ourselves, in this practice, we can find both the conservative movement and the liberal movement. That can teach us a lot about ourselves and how duality works. The fixated self would like to conserve its supremacy and anything to do that is fine. The small self, the ego, the constructed identity clasps. It grasps and holds on very tightly on what it can hold on to. And it asserts that kind of 
grasp with whatever means necessary. Even if there are values defined in that identity, they go out the window as soon as it comes to the point of self-perpetuating. In that sense, it's quite liberal with its own values. You look around and you can see that happening in society as well. But what we must learn in ourselves is how does that work? By sitting here in Zazen, following the breath, by being present and becoming aware of all sensations, feelings, thoughts. Complete presence with 360 degree spherical attention. We gain insight into the workings of this activity that manifests in a dualistic way from the point of view of our cognitive thinking mind. Enough said today about that. Welcome, fellow travelers. We are still here. We are still in this moment. Quickly attend to it.